Damien and Ellen, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you. The king and queen of ice cream. Morelli's, <laughs> the institution of Northern Ireland. Queen. People think ice cream, they think Morelli's. How exciting. Yeah, well, it's been there a long time. Um, so I'm fourth generation now. Wow. Um, and we've been trading in Port Stewart since uh, 1927 and on the North Coast since 1911. So uh, there's a lot of history there. A lot of history and I'm looking forward to getting into it. I have to say before we get started, I'm really excited for today because I automatically have a lot of respect for you guys. So business aside, we had the chance to sit down with your Francesca, your daughter, a year ago, and she spoke very, very highly of her parents. And I'm just like a new dad, right? So I've got like a two-year-old girl and I've got another girl on the way. And I'm like, if my daughter makes it to Francesca's age and she speaks highly of me, I think that's the, the greatest success you could ever have. Mm. So fair play. Yeah, well, we're very oh, proud of all nice. three of them now. So that's good to hear. What was, how did you guys meet or what was your kind of family background? Uh, we met whenever I was at university here uh, in my start of my second year. Uh, I was out in the University of Ulster at Jordanstown campus and Ellen was nursing in the city. And I uh, crashed my car. I had a car, but I crashed it into a wall trying to do an unsuccessful handbrake turn. <laughs> And uh, so I was without, without my car for several weeks while it was getting repaired. So a friend of mine uh, who I studied with, uh, a guy called Pete McGuigan, um, who transpired was a, a, a very close friend of Ellen's, uh, gave me a lift into Belfast one night and we went, I took him into the egg uh, to get him a drink to say thanks. And uh, we met, I met Ellen I that night. I was there. Wow. You were yeah. thinking there with this car crash that I nursed him back to health or that kind of thing. <laughs> it would have been a great story. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I think that'll be a better one if people were romantic. Whenever uh, you write yeah. the, the, you know, the, the highly fictitious biography, that would be a good angle to go That's down. You'd so sell more nice books, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would. Yeah. You would. So <laughs> meeting in a pub, but ain't that exciting, really. But so before meeting, had you been to Morelli's? No, I had no, I'd no idea of the existence. Really? So no. it wasn't the, you know, the massive family legacy name that drew you in? <laughs> no idea who anything. Grew up in Whitehead and if I was to go anywhere locally within Northern Ireland to a, sort of a, a resort, it probably would have been County Down, Newcastle or Bangor. Yeah. N never. Now, possibly once or twice up to the Northwest races. Um, but no, it wasn't for ice cream. <laughs> it was <for> Kelly's <laughs> and fun. So uh, no, no idea and about anything. That's interesting. So yeah, it was a wee bit of a culture shock. Well, when you can tell them what your mother said. No, that's rude. <laughs> what did your mother say? Oh my goodness. Well, she got, I don't know. <laughs> There's another family in Portrush and they're Trefellis and they have the amusements. Yeah. But their origins come originally from circus. So mum had heard the name Morelli Trefelli and she said, they're circus people. <laughs> so she thought I would be on tightrope doing high ride. <laughs> Unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, but she she had her words when she met Damien and realised he well, it wasn't so bad. Just need to park that one wee second. I was having such a great time with the Morales that I totally forgot to do my intro. So I'll do it now really quickly before we jump back into it. This episode is brought to you by NI Connections which is the diaspora program of Invest in I. They are all about connecting Northern Irish people around the world. They're all about helping people move back to Northern Ireland or move to Northern Ireland for the very first time, including you listening or watching. So if you would like to find out more about some of the other episodes that we've done in this series where we interview really interesting people who live overseas from Northern Ireland or who have moved to Northern Ireland, 
just like the Morelli family did many, many years ago to make Northern Ireland their home. I highly recommend going to niconnections.com, which is where you can sign up for their free email newsletter, be connected with a whole bunch of really interesting people and see all of those practical, nitty gritty, little bits of information about what it actually would look like for you to move here, whether you're coming back home or it's your first time. niconnections.com, and thank you so much once again for making this episode possible. Big shout out to producer Mark as well, the fine gentleman who was sitting right here in this chair during the interview uh, for working the cameras and making the conversation so fun. And of course, big thanks to the Morellis and thank you for listening. Cheers. How old were you whenever you started getting dragged in? To work? Yeah. Oh, you know, 10, 11, 12. Yeah. Yeah, literally um, sort of growing up behind the counter to some degree because um, my father and uh, mother were like we are very hands-on and and my grandmother before before them uh, and she nearly lived behind the counter she was you know very very hands-on so yeah we all did our shares at weekends and uh, in the summer and that so you said fourth generation mm-hmm. tell us about the first how did they so it's a, it's a simple weird and wonderful place? yeah i mean it's a simple story and it's still happening today it, it was basically lack of work um where we're from in italy is right in the center in the lazio region uh, it's a little mountain village and uh, during the turn of the century really there was no work there it was all agriculture so anybody really who was in their 20s left to go looking for work um, and my my grandfather was no different uh, and his great uncle he was the first person who came here Peter and basically some of them went to some of them came to Ireland a lot of a lot of the people from that valley a lot of the Italians in Ireland actually are from that valley it's called the Valley de Camino which takes in several different you know in fact probably 20 or 30 different villages names like Cafala and Macari and those sorts of they're all relatives of ours and they all come from that region Fusco by another one that's a Belfast you oh, know, yeah. name yeah. as well so uh, yeah so they left looking in search of work some of them came to Ireland some of them came to Scotland uh, a lot of them are still in Scotland uh, some went to some of our family went to Paris to become glassblowers, uh, which was a, a trade that they seemed to embrace. Um, and yeah, when they came here then, they brought their knowledge of ice cream and, you know, that sort of thing. And they, pro- they probably learned the fish and chip trade over here. But, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the big families in Dublin, that was their stock and trade as uh, fish and chips. Um, um, chip barns are known as over there. And it's weird for us because we see so many of them uh, uh, you know, we grew up with them whenever we used because I used to spend my summers there and, and Francesca and my other kids spent their summers there. And, uh, you know, they, 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 when they go back to Ireland, they live in these little, you know, grotty apartments and they work all the hours at God sends. But when they go back to Italy, they're living in these gorgeous big houses and, you know, <laughs> and they just, they rent their, a lot of them actually rent their premises out for, you know, several months at a time and then they go out there and, and just, you know, go back to their sort of roots. So... So is a lot of your family still in Italy? Yeah, a lot of family still there. Not very close family. My father, who was 91 last week and still going strong, thank God, um, he would spend kind of half the year there and half the year here. And we do have cousins and distant relatives there, but nobody really close. Uh, my brother is uh, basically based there. Uh, he worked in Australia for 32 or 33 years, I think it was. He was a social worker. And he came back from Australia several years ago and he kind of just stays with dad and uh, uh, looks after dad, him and his partner, Sam. So um, we're very lucky to, to have him keeping an eye on dad and making sure that he's OK. And when they go back to Italy, which they will do in about three weeks time, he'll go with them and they'll stay out there and then probably till about October. Brilliant. So this is a very naive question. 
we always do you say it was like 1911 1911 yeah so like no Ryanair flights <laughs> no. no not exactly mm. an easy way to get over how did it get um that's a good question actually well Boats from what I can I can remember I would listen to a lot of the stories and um, a lot of them would have set off walking and they would have started at sort of the middle of the summer so they would have arrived in France at the time of the grape and the olive har harvest and then they could help out with that and that would earn enough money and food for passage for the boat Nice. and that would have taken weeks and then when they arrived in Ireland there would have been somebody who a chipper in Belfast or somebody in Dublin who would have looked after them got them got them somewhere to stay got them working almost immediately and then if that all turned out, then the letter went back to Italy to say, we need more help. Ah. And it was started over again. And it was called cha chain immigration. Nice. Um, it's just as simple as that. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it hasn't really changed. I mean, if you look at the, the Indian population in Northern Ireland and the Chinese population in Northern Ireland, it's all similar. It's all chain. So yeah. that's how it all worked. You know, they went over initially and then started to bring members of their family over and, you know, survived and thrived. Yeah, so that's uh, we were no different. So I like I totally understand the the pizza and Italian food angle. I totally understand the ice cream angle. I never got the fish and chip thing. But I, even chatting to like you know I've had a few ninety year olds on the podcast and they're like oh yeah 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 like fish and chips and they just kept mentioning all these Italian families. I was like what's happening there? Mm -hmm. Well, it's because when they arrived in Ireland, potatoes were plentiful and cheap, and so was fish. <laughs> if you went down to the harbour, you could get a case of fish. So, and if you're living above the shop, then you weren't paying rent and rates. Well, you were to a certain extent, but it was all in the one. And um, if you were serving fish and chips, then you, you had food to eat upstairs as, as well. And it was all inexpensive. The, the supply was plentiful. And uh, that's why. Really it's it's what people really. wanted as well. Yes. I mean, obviously on the, on the coast, you know, anywhere in Ireland, fish and chips is traditional. Because I remember uh, when my father was a younger man, it probably would have been... In the early 70s, he opened a pizza takeaway mm -hmm. in Coleraine and nobody knew what a pizza was. <laughs> Literally, they hadn't heard of a pizza and it completely flopped because, as I say, people had never heard of it. And yeah. he, was, he actually brought a guy from Naples over to do the pizzas and uh, <laughs> he created carnage up in the area, but we'll not go into that. But, he, <laughs> it, you know, it, it was too, we were doing proper pizza from scratch, um, but it never worked because yeah. it was too ahead of its time. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, and the coffee thing, I mean, Gadja are a brand of coffee machine, which are still on the go to this day. I think they're based in Milan. And uh, my grandfather was one of the very first people in Ireland to have a Gadja coffee machine. Wow. Um, I wish we had it now, unfortunately, but it was a really ornate thing, with all these gold sort of wavy patterns at the back of it. But he was one of the first, if not the first person to have one of those. That's interesting. So mm -hmm. you said Coleraine takeaway pizza shop. 1970s? Mm -hmm. uh, very early 70s. I know Nicole was only a baby now, and she's much, not much older than me, so I'd say 72, 73. Do you know possibly. what it was called? I don't know what it was because called. Because i tell you why I asked, because I don't know why, a few years ago, I someone asked me the question, when did the first pizza come to Northern Ireland? Mm -hmm. And it was off the back of, I remember just having a conversation with my granny one day, and she was like, yeah, yeah. I, it wasn't necessarily this, but it was something like, oh, yes, 84, first year I had a banana. And I was like, what? <laughs> like you, you, you were like in your fifties by the time you had a banana and that concept to me. And of course, and then she was telling me, oh yes, I remember the age whenever I, I had pasta and I had pineapple. And then someone asked me about pizza and the, the closest I've got, and you've, you've totally blown it out of the water. 
I think someone said to me, capers in East yes, Belfast. Yes, that would be right. It probably was one of my first. But it, uh, the, yeah. the, uh, it was very hard to get a date for these things, but it was maybe like the 80s that I that was yeah. kind of popping up. So this is like really ahead of its time. And people didn't have a clue. Yeah, well, Nicole, what age is Nicole? She's 50, must be my younger sister. Nicole would be about 52, 52, something yeah, like that. Yeah. And she was a baby in arms whenever he opened it. So yeah, that yeah, was yeah. definitely early, early 70s. So. Wow. Um, so I know. think same granny, she told a story recently where people were bringing pizza home in their suitcases whenever they were flying from Italy because they wanted people to, oh, you got to taste this. This is really good. Mm -hmm. And my, my, I just can't fathom that sort mm -hmm. of uh, world. Yeah, that it's, in, it's relatively not that long ago, really, yeah. when you think about it in those terms. Yeah. How did your family end up on the North Coast then? Because it's one thing to come into Belfast. How do you then make that additional trek up there? I think my uncle Peter was the first person to come up north and he started in uh, Stone Row in Coleraine, which is right off the Diamond. And that was the first shop that we had up there. And then, same idea, he brought my grandfather over to help him. Uh, and then he opened a second shop in Port Stewart, which is our current place. Uh, in the 20s and uh, it was called the Ice Palace and my nice. grandfather started to work there and then they expanded into Port Rush and they had a site right on the corner um, at the bottom of Eglinton Street um, and then when my grandfather went back home married his childhood sweetheart came back over again then he saved up the money to buy the Port Stewart store from my uncle Peter he was a he was an entrepreneur you talked about entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs earlier and he, he was you know, very go-ahead guy, and he had a taxi company, and he had you know uh, two or three different businesses on the go. So he was the one who really kicked it off um, for us, and uh, yeah, so it was his idea to come, come to the North Coast because he could just see the potential of uh, the, the, the seasonal, you know, the seasonal business up there. Yeah, it's possible the Forte, the Forte family might. Yeah, have, the Forte family yeah. is a connection as well. Yeah, um, there, and there was there also. Here or there, there or what are they? You know, you remember, you know, Charles Forte, the hotels. Oh, the yes, world. yes, yes. It's a connection with them and they're all from the village. And there was a policy whereby if there were some people from the village who were doing well in Dublin, other family members could come. But you didn't want to step on anybody's toes either. So you maybe went away a wee bit further and you got <laughs> word that, yes, there could be a potential in the North Coast. And the 40s are doing well there. And you go there, but went to the next town. Yeah, You didn't want to be, yeah. That's yeah, interesting. Unless you were invited into the family itself. You you were better to not... Because mm. um, when, when the whole yeah, war competition. thing broke out, obviously in the middle of it all, uh, Second World War, um, my grandfather was interned in the Isle of Man and his, uh, one of the, the people in his block uh, was Charles Forte, who was the, the founder of, uh, you know, Trust House Forty Hotel Group, which is still on the go, but it's Rocco Forty's the son who runs that now. They've uh, trimmed it all down. It's more uh, luxury hotels now that they run, but they've got them all over the world. And they would have been related to the Forties who moved to Port Rush, and they helped keep our business going whenever my grandfather was shipped off to Man. He was there for four years, and my wow. grandmother was left to run the business, and she didn't even speak English properly so um that was a you know very difficult time and and they were they were kind enough to help out and, and keep the thing going another ignorant question why was he interned because he was an italian citizen that's the only reason because they were like mussolini and let's just get this guy out of here yeah he, wow. he used to tell he didn't talk much about it really um but we made a documentary in 2005 um called a family portrait um it was a friend of my sister's who was a producer from uh, she'd actually done MTV in Canada and she pitched this idea to the BBC and they took it on board 
and it was it was really well done. It was quite rock and roll in those days. That was two thousand and five, I think it was made. And uh, sorry, is that right? Yeah, two thousand and five. Um, and Jimmy Nesbitt. Jimmy Nesbitt narrated, narrated it as well. Class. So you yeah. can get it. You can get it on YouTube. It's still you know it's still we a lot of people still watch it uh, as it was. It was very interesting, and there was a lot of stuff talked about that that I didn't even know. And um, so yeah, he he was. Uh, Basically scooped from Port Stewart by the local sergeant, uh, who and I always remember him telling the story that when the sergeant came to the door with tears in his eyes because he knew my grandfather, he knew he was no threat. But that was that was just the way it was. He had his bag packed and ready to go. And in fact, another interesting thing, diversifying a bit here, but we took a, a Crumlin Roads a jail tour a couple of years ago, and uh, whenever he was initially lifted from Port Stewart, he was sent to Crumlin Road for two weeks before he was. Shipped off to the Isle of Man. The boat only went every couple of weeks then, so we'd have to yeah. put him somewhere. And Ellen said something at the time which really resonated with me was that, you know, because if, you, if you've done the tour, I don't know if you have or yeah, not, but yeah. you know the way the reception you go into and there's all these little, like, cubicles, cubicles all mm -hmm. around with these open flappy doors. She said, your grandfather would have been one of those. He would have had to strip off, put on you know, jail and, clothes, uh, like a common criminal. Yeah. yeah. That's right, yeah. and get hosed down effectively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And get photographed with his hands up mm -hmm. because um, I'm sure you remember from the tour that sometimes your identifying feature because chances are you'd worked in the mill and you'd lost digits. Interesting. So this <laughs> you're identified by, by, by your by lack of and many thinking. fingers you had. Yeah. So he would have had that photograph taken. And, you know, he was just making ice cream in Port Stewart and mine his own business. That's crazy. Have no. you ever done that tour? No. We should. That's very it's good. interesting. Yeah. Check it out. I, I don't know, like even just things like how small the cells were because people were so much shorter back mm -hmm. in the day. Blows mm -hmm. my mind. I know. Yeah. Um, I, I don't I don't think there were any short shorter. I just think that that's you the think way that's the way it was. Yes, <laughs> it my was tour just, guide lied to me then. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was multiple people in a in a in a in a relatively small space and yeah. they rammed them in and maybe four to sell. And, and just Crazy. on that topic, another interesting thing which you would it's worth watching the documentary just to see it could just because it's a good watch, not sure. just because it's about us, but um one my grandfather was eventually um organized to to be sent off to the Isle of Man. There was two queues, there was one going to the Isle of Man and there was one going to Canada on a boat called Endora Star. And there was a mix up in the queues in the queues and there was two Angelo Morellis. And my grandfather had ended up in the in the queue to go to Canada. So he took him out of that line and put him on the boat to go to the Isle of Man. And then Dora Star was shot by shot by U boats and everybody on board was killed. Wow. So uh, mm -hmm. twist of fate there. So, so your grandfather didn't didn't talk much about it though, you said. No, no, not really. He 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 was a very emotional man and you could see that in the documentary, you know, it was just difficult mm -hmm. for him to talk about yeah. it because my grand my father and my uncle had been sent back to Italy to learn Italian and to stay with my great grandmother. Great grandmother, yeah, that's right. In our still to this day family home. And basically we live very close to Monte Cassino, which was the scene of a very famous battle during the war. And uh our house was Nazi headquarters. So basically the soldiers marched in and kicked everybody out. So they didn't see the boys for was it five or six years? Yeah, I can't remember what the time period was, but it was years anyway. So they didn't know where they were. They didn't know if they were alive or dead. And basically they made their way down from our house, which is in, say, in our south of Rome, right down to the... Uh, Calabria. Calabria. And there's a town there called Averso, I think it is. And they ended up in a misplaced persons camp. And by another weird twist of fate, the commandant of that camp was a guy from Port Stewart. No way. Called Cunningham. <laughs> Mr. Cunningham. Yeah. yeah. 
So he recognized the name and then he was able to organize with them. Like recognize the name because he had ice cream yeah. in Morelli? Yeah, because he, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was a, a guy, um, Salvetta, uh, who was a, 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 you know, a, a friend of the family from, again, from our, our, our uh, valley. And uh, he was tasked with uh, getting the boys back home. Uh, and he did. And so, so my uncle Crado and my dad landed back in Portster and they were they were really, really skinny because they just hadn't they hadn't eaten anything, you know, hadn't been eaten probably for forever. And my uncle Guido, he was always a bit portly, shall we say. And he was there at home. He was the youngest one, so he hadn't been sent away. So it was like a big reunion. So um, wow. yeah, we've got some great, great photographs of that up in the in the shop at the minute. So we went through and got all the old photographs gathered and put them all like on a wallpaper all over the place. Mm. So you can see lots of those photographs at that time. But it was a difficult time for obviously for my grandfather because so he didn't know where they were. Yeah. So and dad would never ever talk about that. Yeah. And then it's the it's the transition from that, and it wasn't just your family, it was every family during those times, mm -hmm. that then a year later you go back to making ice cream and being a plumber and being a school teacher mm -hmm. and trying to reintegrate back into this new normal. We've heard that phrase a lot. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. I think it wasn't plain sailing when he came back, you know, sure. um, because, you know, they were considered the enemy to some degree. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to ask about any prejudice. Yeah, there was. Yeah, there was. Mm -hmm. Again, it's not something my grandfather's just not, and my father as well, not that sort of person, but uh, they didn't, didn't bear any grudges. It was just the way it was. But mm -hmm. oh, there would have been a bit of, you know, prejudice at the time is probably the right way to put it. But, you know, obviously that's history now and, uh, you know, everybody's moved on. So, yeah, it's interesting. Um, there's a plaque just down the road here on the 10 Square Hotel. You know one of those wee blue plaques? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We did a documentary about that guy's name's Otto Jaffe. He's a German Jew. Yes. He was a Lord Mayor of Belfast twice, but he got booted out of the country, I think, when the First World War happened. Mm -hmm. You know, because again, it was just like the, the connect the dots. It's like, oh, he must be the enemy. He's, he's, he was accused of being a spy and then just mm -hmm. booted him out. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. My grandmother during that time when she was running the business alone and he was in turn, she was arrested as well. She was brought inland. And the excuse was that she could be signalling U-boats out in the bay in Port Stewart and her, a wee tiny woman that size, who couldn't even speak English properly. But that was when the Forty stepped in and helped her run the business because she, was, she, was, she wasn't allowed to be on, on the water. Basically. Wow. So. Shows you the level of paranoia as well mm -hmm. that was around. Because mm -hmm. I think it's like I hear that and I immediately jumped to, that's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But then I like, NC was reflecting on even just like the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. And how quickly we can go there as a people from a, a zero calm to a 99% freak out moment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, the whole COVID thing was awful. And to try and be in business through, not even just financially, just managing people's expectations and, uh, you know, the whole eat out, help out debacle. It is laughable though. It, it like, is, you, yeah. It's recent history, but I yeah. look back and I was even saying to my wife the other day, I was like, that there's no way that actually happened. Mm -hmm. Like there's no actually like I'm um, someone's inserted a spoof memory in my head because that just didn't yeah. happen. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's like a bad dream now. Well, hopefully we're at the other end of that now. When was the moment that you felt like okay, we're finally bouncing back from this as a business? Because there's a lot in, of false in, starts, wasn't in, there? In truth, we're still suffering from it, and that was my fault because when we closed initially there was significant government help in terms of, obviously your, your biggest thought and every employer's biggest thought is what I do with my staff. Mm -hmm. 
So the furlough thing kicked in quite quickly, and that was great. I mean, we've got furlough too because we're working, you know, we're working directors. So that was great because that sorted that problem out. And then also there was grants available and, you know, these you know, um, CBIS loans and all that sort of stuff. So it was all great. But then it didn't occur to me that because that happened in March, that's our, always our weakest point when we're coming out of the winter months and heading back mm -hmm. into the season again in terms of cash flow. So I really underestimated the effect that was going to have. So when things really started to get back to normal, which has only really been now, you know, maybe in the latter part of last year, yep. you know, all of a sudden I'm two years back from where I should be. And I'm thinking, well, that's a lot to do with COVID and it really has. And I think a lot of people in our industry have realised they're the same, they're playing catch up now. Yeah. And we'll probably never catch that up. Because to lose basically two seasons and even the seasons that we had, it was one minute you're open as a takeaway and then you weren't allowed mm -hmm. to open at all and then you were throwing stock out. And, uh, you know, it was just an absolute nightmare. Yeah. You know, I understand it was unprecedented and it's a very difficult thing to manage. And, uh, you know, the government were finding their feet, I suppose, to some degree too. But it's uh, it's a big legacy still for us, for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, when the fifth and sixth generation come along, that will be part of the story. Yeah, you know, the same the, the same kind of uh, wonder that you have in your eyes talking about the Andor star nearly being shot. They're mm -hmm. like, yeah, and then the pandemic happened, and like, can you believe that they weren't even allowed to sell ice cream? Like, what the heck was going on there? Do you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah. It's part of the legacy. So yeah. again, I have a lot of respect for you guys for making it through that because mm -hmm. plenty of businesses didn't mm -hmm. in your industry in particular. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's been a struggle. It really has. You know, there's lots of struggles in business, and I know everybody's the same at the minute, uh, but the, the, the cost of things, the cost of living thing, you know, obviously for, for anybody, uh, uh, any working guys or anybody in the world at the moment, but for businesses in particular, I mean, our costs have absolutely rocketed. Yeah. You know, electricity is, and the thing about, because we're a seasonal business, our electricity cost doesn't really change much in the winter because it's all, if you're open, you need electricity, we need f to run fridges and freezers and stuff. Our electricity bill has doubled, you know, and it's the same in the winter as it is in the summer. And that, in the summer, it doesn't matter because you're, you know, there's plenty of cash flow coming in. But in the winter time, there isn't. Yeah. There really isn't. We're treading water in the winter, and the and the gas has tripled. So I mean, unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of businesses, you know, both established and not established, who won't survive. Yeah. If if this doesn't change, absolutely. You know, and I know the war in Ukraine is probably the main reason for that. Mm. Um, but I'm sure nobody thought that was going to last a year. And there's no. there's a year last week already. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm. Number one, not on hospitality, so I can't really speak too much. Number two, mainly Belfast focused. So the, anything I do know, hospitality is to do with the city. Mm -hmm. What's it like with in terms of staff up in somewhere like a port, Rushport, Stuart? Are you facing the same challenges that we're facing down here? Uh, absolutely, we um, we're recruiting at the minute, and what we're finding is that we used to get always uh, our workforce would be sort of three quarters part time and one quarter full time. And it was always students that made up the difference. But now when we're advertising for staff, you know, you basically if you can if you can stand up straight and write your name, you're hired. <laughs> <laughs> but the but the profile of, of the people who are who are applying, it's sixteen year olds now who are coming in and they're great actually. Sure. Because fifteen, sixteen year old, seventeen year old kids, they they actually quite want the work and they want yeah. to enjoy being paid and we you know, we pay them you know, a, a good wage. Um but sometimes we find that the students just aren't applying anymore, mm. which is tricky because our school kids of that age, and they all leave in May to go and do exams and stuff, which is when you really need them. And then they're not allowed to do the same amount of hours that uh, older kids would do. Yeah. 
We've always got by. Um, this year is really going to be difficult because you know, Easter's not that far away now, and we need a, we need about ten mm-hmm. more uh, than we have at the minute, and they're just we're just not getting the forms in through the door. Yeah. And the problem up there is there's so much competition now, particularly in Port Stewart, and everybody's hiring, so they've got their pick up places to work. Absolutely. And a lot job. Yeah, I think it could stand up. I'm pretty sure I can, write I can, I can make ice cream for sure. Yeah, and, and I think the COVID thing was another. Um, I think it got people out of the way of working. It did, and then they decided that they didn't want to do weekends and they didn't yeah. want to do late hours, and that's very understandable. Hospitality is a set on that questionnaire. Mm-hmm. It's not easy. Yeah, it's, it's not easy. Cake. It is. It's impressive. Impressive that you, the business has lasted so long, and it will be interesting to see how you you move through these next kind of set of hurdles. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you moving up to the North Coast? Um, yeah, it was quite strange. I never never really spent much time there. But Damon's family were all great. And I started, uh, I had been a staff nurse previously in City Hospital in Belfast. And I'd also been cabin crew for British Midland in the 80s. So I was used to um, centre for people, yeah. interested in people, I like people. So that bit was easy. And I'd worked in chippers and cafes and, you know, as a Saturday girl, really, from I was 13. So... For a Mars bar a week. Is that that, true? It's uh, not a joke? Yeah. You got paid in Mars bars? Well, (laughs) it was minimal wages. Um, So, yeah, that I didn't mind the work. And um, Port Stewart, lovely place. Mm -hmm. And uh, just got on with it, really. Yeah. And um, we had some nice time off as well then, and um, which Damien promised. He said, "Look, it is hard work, and you'll be fine. But the winter's nice, and mm-hmm. we'll we'll do some, we'll, you know we'll get our holiday in September, and you know." And he was to his word. Yeah. And um, uh, Ellen's very good in the shop, in fairness now, and she would be very good at you know be busy and oh, just where's she going? We're pretty busy. Where's she doing now? But she would be sitting down talking to people and. <laughs> Gleaning their whole life story from them, you know, and people really like that, and yeah. that's a, that's a real skill. I don't possess it really, uh, you know. I wouldn't have the patience, but Ellen will just love sitting chatting to people and seeing what their story is and where they're from, mm-hmm. especially if they're from, you know, somewhere a bit different. So uh, no, she's very good that way, and I was always a hard worker. So uh, yeah. we've, you know, we've made a good team over the years. So you've got a great mind for stories that got clear. Like you, you're just good at collecting that sort of information. Mm, some and, people call it nosy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you got to use the superpowers you've been given, don't you? Well, my mum always said to be interesting, you have to be interested. Hey, that's a that's a great quote. That's good. You said you were nursing before yeah, yeah. ice cream. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you ever think of going back to that? Well, actually, uh, many years ago. Now, how many years? Let me see. Nino was Around, twenty. Uh, Two thousand. Uh, yeah, so we um, knocked down the whole Morelli's building and rebuilt it. So we knew, despite everything builders, builders told us, it was going to be a year. Mm. So Damon had to make lots of journeys to Italy to look at different types of counter arrangements and marble and things like that. And to all intents and purposes, I was off. I had two little girls at this point um, and I was looking after them. But I thought, well, I'm I'm also slightly redundant. So at that point, there was talk of some sort of mad bird flu coming into Northern Ireland. And there was an opportunity to do the return to nursing course, which I did in the University of Ulster. Nice. And it should have been three or four months, but they condensed it all into one month. And um, I worked up in this Coleraine Hospital. And it was very, very different from the nursing that, that I had done. 
um, and enjoyed it, but it was quite different. And um, so that was my return. Mm. And then I proceeded to have my third child, Nino, who's now 20. And then the shop reopened and I never mm. really looked back. Having said that, when there was word of COVID, I phoned the hospital in Coleraine and said, "I'm put me in the bank, I'll come in. And uh, at this point, we didn't know the horrors. Mm-hmm. And um, a Monday at home, the shop closed. About a week later, the phone went and it was a number of the hospital and I couldn't answer the phone because I was flat on my back with COVID. Oh, you were an early adopter, were you? I was, I was. <laughs> wow. And in fact, I didn't even know I had I it or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like to be uh, set, yeah. set a trend all the <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah. And didn't even know I had it, but I kind of knew I wasn't, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't even answer the phone. I couldn't even lift the phone. And... Um, so then I thought, when, when I'm better, I'll have antibodies and I'll be fit to be that person. Sure. But then I heard that a lot of these uh, people that were going back into the industry were having to stay in the local hotel. They couldn't go home to their families. Mm-hmm. And um, the um, the high level of bacteria that they were having to face, there was quite a few people getting sick. And I had to have a step back and think I owe it to my family to be alive, safe and with them. So that was a decision I made. And that's, I um, stayed at home during COVID then after that. So in a way it was quite fortuitous that I had time to think about that one. Absolutely. And I mean, the working conditions that we don't even need to go into, they were horrific like. Yes, and I'm not sure I could have. um, 13 hours with not just a normal flimsy mask, but like a proper yeah, effectively, yeah. A gas mask. With, you know, with, it's with not people, easy. People, very, very sick people. Yeah. Um, it have been very tra- traumatic. Yeah, uh, more traumatic for the sick people. But yeah, yes, yeah, it's yeah. tough. We've seen a lot of nurses fall out the other end of it as well. You yeah. know, they're having a, a staff issue as well off the back of everything. Yeah. Too. How do you guys uh, manage stress in your life? Because we all have it. Business owners, especially, have it. There's obviously family stuff that goes on in everybody's life. There's interpersonal things. How do you take that stress? What do you do with it? Well, because we both work together, we have time apart, <laughs> <laughs> and we, we live we live in a, a like a like a, a mid century bungalow. It's kind of very long and thin. So Damon can be watching TV in one room, and I can be in the other end of the house. I love that. Um, that kind of sounds like each other occasionally. <laughs> Bring us a cup of tea. Um, so we can have time apart, and then Damon goes off on his motorbike. He plays golf. Um, bit of a karate man. Um, uh, not just a bit of a karate man. Yeah. Come on, Mark. What other you hobbies? Were You're quite. We were looking through the, you know, the the things you'd sent over before. Yeah. And it was kind of like, you know, a list of hobbies that I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And then black belt and karate. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> how, how did that happen? How did you get was, into that? It was always an interest um, of mine, and I I started to train with a guy called Joe McCulloch. Um, oh goodness, we weren't Th- thirty years we ago. Married? It was thirty odd years ago. And I trained with him kind of one-on-one and then joined the university club and I did about two years with him and I got up to about, I think it was about green belt. And then for some reason I just packed it in. But one of the guys that started with me, actually the same night, started with me, Terry Geddes, he kept going and he eventually formed his own club and several other clubs. So Terry, his day job was he used to deliver flyers out for businesses and he always was coming into the shop delivering flyers and he would say to me, would you not come back, would you not come back? So eventually one day I thought, okay, well, I'd like Nino to try it. So he was only, I don't know, seven or eight, maybe at the time. 
So I said, look, come on, we'll go, we'll go back and give it, a, give it another go. And you can't just walk back in at Greenbelt, you've got to go back to start again until you reach that standard. Oh, interesting. Because every belt is a grade, basically it's an exam, so you need to know a set amount of stuff to, to pass that grade to move on yeah. to the next stage. So him and I trained together, uh, and uh, he he got up to green as well. Maybe got actually purple, I think. Maybe he got up too. But anyway, and he was really good. He was he was quite tall, and he was a great build for it. But unfortunately, he didn't stick it out. Um, they do lose, you know. Uh, apparently, if ten thousand people start training in karate, one of them will get a black belt. Eventually, wow. there's a big fallout. And traditional karate that I studied was very formal. It's not like um, the uh, UFC stuff where it's you know it's a bit more you know uh, fast and loose fast and loose <laughs> is the right way yeah I mean I, I totally respect them as well obviously but ours is very formal very structured um, great discipline for kids and stuff but some of them get bored because it's, it's very repetitive and there's actually not a lot of contact in it really until you start to do get higher up the belts and start to do courses and gradings and stuff like that so anyway, I, started, I came back and I, he, he dropped out, but I kept going and uh, trained with Terry um, and then went for black belt, um, failed it miserably and uh, had to do it again. And they only have one, I think it's one black belt grading a year in Ireland or is it two, maybe two. So I missed the boat for that one anyway, so I had to go off and do it in Scotland. Um, so passed it in Scotland. It's basically you go into a hall with a hundred other people and you know, you're called up for different gradings. And you do it in front of a panel of uh, um, instructors, chief instructors. There was a, a guy called um, Andy Sherry, who was the first European to get a black belt. And he was the chief senior course chair. He's in the 70s. Um, so very scary man. Um, and you had to do it in front of him. And it was basically you had the kata, which are a set. It's like a dance, really, a set or, or you know, movements. And you had your basics, your punch, kicks, punches, kicks, blocks, etc. And then you had sparring as well. So it was different, three different elements to any grading. Um, so past that one anyway, and then that was really enough for me. I was quite happy. I achieved what I wanted to achieve. When I, and Tyson, we got to keep going, got to keep going, go for second down. So second down was really a lot harder. It was harder to get that than it was to get the black belt. Mm. You only one more belt to go through, but it was just, and I failed it miserably as well the first time and had to repeat it again. And you can't do it for a year. If you fail, you've got to wait a year before you can get the chance to do it again. And I did that one in Dublin and I got the second down. And then... <laughs> Once I got that, you know, I was really, I was really pleased because it was really quite an achievement for me because I never felt it was that good, but obviously it reached a certain standard sure. with it, and I did really enjoy it. And obviously, physically, there's great benefits from it, and I, I've gone very well with Terry. We're still good friends. Um, but then COVID kicked in, and all the clubs closed, and um, I had been training just sort of one on one with him, uh, and we weren't allowed to do that anymore. So that kind of knocked it in the head for me, and I've never really got back to it, to be honest. Mm. And as uh, one of my instructors said, a black belt's all very well, but if you're not training, it's only good for holding your trousers up. <laughs> and that's, that's totally true. I'll tell you one um, thing, though. I'm not messing with Mr. Morelli. No. I don't care if it's been no, a few no. years. I'm not no. risking it. <laughs> well, you've both actually mentioned um, a fair amount of like other ways you've invested your time. Mm-hmm. Like you were talking about the gym before we started the interview and, you know, the karate and riding motorcycles and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. How you, I have found being an adult very difficult to manage like hobbies and interests and things that i know are good for me mm-hmm. um and mark only has two kids i have no kids <laughs> i have no kids there's no reason i can't do these things but mm-hmm. how do you how do you do that how do you run a business and also make time for your interests you have to make time 
You really do. It's very important. Um, Ellen, the gym for Ellen is a relatively, you've fiddled a bit with the gym over the years, but it's good that you have a regular thing going on now because that's Ellen's space and Ellen's friends and Ellen's, you know, sits and has a coffee with the, the guys afterwards and that's her thing and I, you know, don't really get involved in that. Same with me. I've always played golf. Uh, I've always ridden bikes. Um, the karate's kind of come and gone a bit um, now, but I took up cold water swimming a couple of years ago. Great. So I'm into year three of that now and... That for me works very well because I go into work really early. I go in about half six in the morning uh, and I can get an hour or two hours work done in that time. And you can get a lot done at that time in the morning because there's only myself and a couple of other people there. So get paperwork sorted out and, you know, get checking up done from the day before. And then I head down to the beach and we all meet at eight o'clock. And it started off with uh, a couple of friends of mine, a guy called Michael Moss, who was an ex guy who was in charge of Port Stewart Golf Club and Philip Parker, who's an architect friend of mine, and they started it, and then they, three or four of us joined, and then it was four, and now it's 24. Class. So we have a big group, uh, all ages, all shapes, all sizes, all backgrounds. Um, you know, it all goes out the window when you're in the water. It uh, What's in the water stays in the water. <laughs> and we've become a really tight-knit group of friends, very interesting people. We meet every morning, winter, summer, rain, hail, or shine. Mm. Eight o'clock, um, we stand around, have a chat. Um, sometimes people bring food, and... Um, like it was my birthday on Saturday, for example, and it was, they all turned up with a bottle of Prosecco and Class. sausage rolls and everything and uh, had a bit of a party before we went in for a, a swim. And it's just a quick dip. But I can do all that and be back in work again at nine o'clock. Mm-hmm. Having done that, shard changed, back to work again. Uh, I've done two hours work already. So it's amazing if you make slots in your day, that just happens to work for me. Like if they swam at nine o'clock, it wouldn't work for me. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you, you have to find that window in your life or that time in your life and I say, I'm going to take up that. The swimming has been amazing, both for physically and uh, mentally. It's it's superb, but it's very social for me. It's all about the group. You know, uh, occasionally if I miss a swim for whatever reason, I'll go down and go in on my own in the afternoon, but it's not the same. Yeah. A, it's dangerous and, and B, uh, you know, it's just not the same. So yeah. you, you, need the, you need your friends there to... And we don't stand for very long this time of the year. This is actually the coldest time that it gets is March. So the water's somewhere between seven and eight degrees now. Uh, so it's Baltic. Um, I, I I love the cold water. I love the cold and I love the hot. Mm-hmm. Do a lot of sauna. Do a lot of ice stuff. And oh, yeah. I, I totally agree with you. Sense community, clarity, mental, mm-hmm. physical. You're not the same person if you don't do it. Yeah. Uh, I heard uh, I was swimming where it was a Kelly Lay near Down Patrick, and. Um, there was this like 80 year old and 85 year old woman that jumped in beside me and I was like, hello, like what the heck's going on here? And they're giving me all this like old timer wisdom about like swimming and they give me this great wee tip and it says, son, whatever uh, degree it is, that's how many minutes you should stay in. Yeah. And I was like, that's I'll never forget that totally as long true, as I live. Yeah. Totally yeah. true. So yeah. smart. Mm-hmm. We, we, we would be in for five or six minutes at the minute. That's all you, that's all you really want to do. Yeah. And that's another thing about that when you are experienced in it you don't mind if, you, if you're not if you're not feeling it that particular day then you just don't stay in as long and yep. nobody says anything that's fine you know some days if you're the last first in last out but sure. you know it, it doesn't always work that way so you, you have to be and it's better in a group because it is safer mm-hmm. it, you know it can be it can be dangerous you know unless you know, you know what you're doing so and there's a lot of currents in, in, in Port Stewart so so you've perfected your your in and out you're not getting your feet too sandy change really quickly do you use a dry robe what do you do dry robe yeah, yeah. Uh, got my a friend of mine Angela who's a, a dry robe man they supply them in Northern Ireland she's based in Bangor 
So most of our group use her stuff, Cozy Mac. Um, so yeah, but you get you bring your bottles of water and you bring your flask of hot chocolate and uh, you, you w- w- wash your feet before you get into the car so it doesn't get all sandy. And <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a you know I have a very set routine and then of course, uh, yeah. yeah, so uh, come back and you know just hot shower afterwards and and that's it. So that's you, you do feel great after it. Now to be fair, it's something I can't ever see myself stopping. Yeah, um, because age is no limit there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, as long as you can you can walk into the water, you're yeah, you'll good be to go. golfing and dunking. Can you drop? <laughs> yeah, hopefully, hopefully. Why did you uh, end up singing on Broadway, Ellen? Oh, right. Let me think about that one now. Right. As a friend of ours, he actually does some work on Today Radio by phone from the States. He's a Fox Newsman. Great. And long story cut short, we met him in Port Stewart because he bought an apartment there uh, by dint of his marriage. His late wife had a friend from Northern Ireland bought a, an apartment above the shop. He was the first one to buy one. And he was the first one to buy one off plan. Cal Thomas, lovely man. And um, yeah, so when he was back in Washington and then doing a Fox News programme, I think weekly from New York, he yep. had said, come whenever you're in New York, we, I, you know, call me and we'll do this, that and the other. And we did. And so he said, come and watch me this day. I'm going to be doing a piece live to camera in the studio. Billy Graham's son, he was going yeah. to interview him. And it was set. So we were in the background. It was lights, camera, and we were just, we were nipping each other. Jessica and Sienna were there too. The girls <laughs> no, were No, not there, that yeah. point. It was our first oh, New York one. Oh, that right, was okay. it. Yeah. Uh, it's, so, it's only the first time, Damien. It's only the first time. Yeah. You know, out of the multiple <laughs> times. Keep no, tr- come on. Well, uh, but Carl was so kind. Um, it was. It was the first of the twice we went mm-hmm. so this we all thought this we thought this was fantastic and it was around Christmas and um, Carl would have loved the whole Broadway thing mm-hmm. um, so at the end of the interview um, they bought on they wheeled on a big birthday cake for him and it was um, she didn't jump out of the cake but a Broadway star <laughs> pushed the cake on and then lo and behold we they all stood around this baby grand piano and pulled up at us as well we all started singing these Christmas of course we didn't know the words and we were like <laughs> <not> laughing <laughs> and I thought we can't what is actually happening here doing your best lip sync um, trying to join in yeah Love yeah that. and so that was that we, yeah and, was that? Um, class you're the first people I've ever met that have actually won something on a, a TV game show as well. Yeah, that wasn't uh, that wasn't yesterday either. That was before we were was married he, there. No, it would have been we were married in eighty nine. It was mid eighties. It would have been. It would have been um, eighty six, eighty seven, something like that. I guess. No, I don't think we're married the following anyway. anyway they missed her remember. Uh, yes, it was tri- trick or treat. Trick it or was treat. Um, Mike Smith and Julian yeah. Clary. That was his big break. That was his first. TV show, Julian Clary, and the 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 premise of the show was that you you, you had to be asked a skill testing question, which I think you still do in, in quiz shows to this day. But if you got that right, you won a prize, and then you were able to trade your prize for a hidden prize, Ooh. and you kind of traded up or or lost it altogether. But they give you a little hint. They tell you what you know what are you interested in. I say, well, I like motor racing. They say, well, we might ask you a question about motor racing and who won the world championship. Da 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 da. So <laughs> you, you were you know you had a bit of a heads up, I guess. But it was a really good experience because it, they, they met the guys. The, produ- the production company met Ellen on the plane when she was signing for British Midland, and she was having fun with them. And they said, oh, you, you guys should come on to the show, and you know we'll we'll, get, we'll set an edition up for you. 
So they flew us and put us up in a hotel in Mayfair uh, in London. Great. Uh, and we did this audition and sure enough, we, we got on. So then they fly, fly over, all expenses paid and you do the show which is filmed with a studio audience. Um, so it was very good and Julian Clary was, you know, obviously being very Julian and very camp and great fun. Um, and we ended up winning this two week sailing holiday to Turkey. Um, Fabulous. Again, wow. all expenses paid. I mean, it was worth thousands, of, and that was at the time. I mean, it was it was really sure. a high end uh, trip for us. Um, and I remember when we got the dates, and I thought, oh no, it's Northwest Two Hundred Weekend. I'm not going to be able to go. I said, that's where I'm going anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> you're going to have to cover cover us somehow. So uh, so off we headed to. to uh, to Turkey and we had a fabulous holiday there in Marmaris. Marmaris, um, yeah. Unbelievable. So it was quite an experience. We've never been able to find it. I'm sure it's out there on social media somewhere. It was Island so Sailing. If, uh, Island, oh, no, you, no, oh, no, the, the trick actual, or treat thing yes, the no, show. Who, where was it? Damien. Was it uh, ITV, BBC? It was uh, no idea. ITV. Yeah. I don't mm. ever want to see it. <laughs> one of your, your, one of, one of your well, yeah, one of, one of your guys. Yeah, you're good. I'm sure one of your uh, techie people will be able to find it. Yeah, well, that's, uh, that's yeah. what I'm, I'm trying to think. If it's ITV, what was it called? Trick or Treat? Trick, trick or oh, Treat. Please, no. ITV, Trick or Treat. <laughs> I'd love to see it again. No, because we were too, we were young and... Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, it would depress me now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, was a great, it was a great experience. I mean, it was very At interesting. That as well, yeah. like before yeah. getting married and all, like what a, what a yeah. treat. Generally. Yeah, so that, we actually were on the... the Boat, this yacht and everything in May and got married in the September so it was a big year mm. and um, I, I was just walking in air I think it's fantastic it's great. yeah it's great a couple more questions then we'll kind of land the plane as it were uh, what is your favourite thing off the Morelli's menu Oh, right. That's a good question, but I kind of know everything. Everything, <laughs> everything is excellent. Our, our, bre our breakfasts are really popular and I know why, because my favourite thing would be the Ulster Fry. We do a very good Ulster Fry and we're lucky enough occasionally to stay in maybe in a nice hotel in Dublin with big heavy silver teapots and beautiful white linen and a lovely fry. And I'll say, Damien. Ours is better. So Ours this, is better. this is news to me. I did what? not know Morelli sold fries. Oh, mm. we do lot. And we, I'm, and a day, I'm a day trip guy. Like I'm, yeah. I'm usually there at like 3 p.m. So yeah. I miss that. Interesting. It's, it's a difficulty and it's something that Francesca is working on for us because not only do we do breakfasts, we do pizzas and we do a full hot food <laughs> menu. No idea. You did pizza. Uh, we're licensed. You can, what? Have, you can have a pint of beer oh, in Morelli's if you wish. Oh, now you've got market <laughs> Yeah, yeah we've, we've, uh, we've Peroni on draft. Peroni on uh, draft. And we sell wine. Wow. Uh, and then we do obviously all our pastries and coffees and ice cream. So the, the perception sometimes in Northern Ireland is that you're either a cafe or a restaurant or a bar. Sure. You know, we're kind of all of those things. Yeah. Um, and so, yes, but essentially we're known for ice cream and we have changed our business model several times over the years. And in fact, recently, uh, we decided that we would consult our, our own staff and say, look, what do you think, how do you think we should set things up in terms of our opening hours, in terms of our, our menu offerings uh, and any, any other ideas? Because as my brother wisely said, you know, before you start trying to figure all this stuff out, you need to talk to them and see what they want to do because they're the people who are front and centre, who know what's going on. Yeah. So we, uh, a friend of mine who does those sorts of business consultations hosted a meeting and all the staff went to it and that was one of the things that they had said that you need to set your opening hours up because we were constantly changing them and mm. people didn't know whether they were coming or going. It is difficult to get chefs and there is a cost involved in that in terms of all the you know gas and whatever. So 
I started analysing the sales and things, and it turned out that we were doing 60 to 70% of our hot food sales before three o'clock. Wow. You know, it's mostly breakfast and lunch, but we were running right through to eight o'clock at night. So we decided to cut that out. So we just do hot food now from nine to five every day, mm-hmm. which encompasses all. And, and of all that stuff that we do, breakfast is 70 or 80% of that. Oh, that's incredible. Because Anza's the Ulster Fry is our most popular item on the menu. Wow. And we do, we do a really good breakfast. So Saturday and Sunday mornings particularly are very busy for breakfast. You get lots of bikers coming up and, you know, people yeah, coming yeah, in yeah. Uh, who are holiday homes and stuff come in with their Ten friends weekends. for breakfast. and you know, younger people who've been out the night before and come in ready for some... The cure. The cure. <laughs> so, yeah, so we do we do a lot of food, but we decided that we would do nine to five for food and then concentrate on the ice cream. So we've really uh, got now upped our game in terms of our toppings and all that sort of stuff, which is a big... The ice cream, the whole profile of ice cream is changing now. It used to be your traditional Sundays and Knickerbocker glories and that sort of thing. And whilst we still do that, it's all about crepes and waffles and sauces and... Uh, inclusions, as they're called. So we've got 16 different toppings on the go now. Yeah. <laughs> I've just seen a lot of that here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the Christmas th- markets, you walk around, it's just the most yeah. complicated ice cream I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it is, uh, but it's amazing. Is, is that to do with, because people are sharing it visually on their social feeds? That's a that's a big yeah, element of that, sure. yeah. And yeah. We, we needed to find a way to, sh- to, sh- to display them in the shop as well, because obviously when kids see them, I want that. It's yeah. easy, they can point to it. So we've got these big Perspex tubes, which have got all our fillings and they're all sitting on the counter now so it's easy for kids or the younger people to come in they can just point and see what they want nice so yeah so really for us if people think about morellis you think about ice cream then we need to capitalize on that and focus on that so that's our sort of mantra for this year and also another thing we discovered when we were analyzing our sales is that the takeaway out of everything that we do is almost 40 percent of all our sales it's just takeout so that's a big critical part where sometimes that can be seen because of the shape of our counter or takeaways at the front and the counter runs up the length of the shop. But sometimes the takeaway can be seen as a bit of an afterthought and sometimes mm-hmm. people can be standing there and nobody's serving them. So now we're saying, look, that's a priority. You always must have somebody up there. It's really interesting. Um, so in terms of my favourite thing, yeah, chocolate brownie ice cream, hot caramel sauce and milk chocolate buttons. Mr. Morelli special. Winner. Winner. <laughs> Damien is five. <laughs> Damien's a black belt. You're lucky you're married to I couldn't say that to Damien. <laughs> so what's uh, what's your best sell on ice cream? Vanilla. Still vanilla. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. still the vanilla. Old faithful. Don't people, look at Our Northern Ireland people are traditional. Yeah, they're very vanilla. Is that what you're they saying? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. They are traditional and they like what they know and they know what they like. Yeah. End of. Awesome. And you can you can have a hundred flavours, but they'll go, I want that one. Mm-hmm. Um, honeycomb, closely followed by honeycomb, mm-hmm. but yeah, vanilla will still be the main Interesting. one. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Who's the most famous person that's come to Morelli's? Hmm. Well, um, Annika Rice, do you remember coming in? Yeah, Annika Rice was one of Maybe them. Maybe before your time, Annika Rice. I don't know who Annika Rice Right, okay. I'm sorry. Um, You're also I'm going to Google it. Yeah. <laughs> I am actually five. <laughs> she did sort of weird travel programs where she was jumping in and out of helicopters and stuff like that, but she was very big back, in the, back in the day. And we've had lots of Northern Ireland celebrities, and we've had local rugby players in and all the motorbike guys. Um, and her Jimmy Nesbitt. Jimmy Nesbitt would be a regular uh David Moyes has been in several times, I think his mum or dad are from Portrush. So people like that, you know, people that you would know in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not recalling. That travel writer was in recently, because um, of car call. Pete Postlethwaite, if you remember him, actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, great name. Yeah, Usual great Suspects. Actor. Yeah, he's great. Uh, he was in one day. Um, so yeah, you do get you do get people, that, you know, sometimes oh, you can miss Chris people. Chris Rhea 
was in and in Chris Rea was in, yeah. 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 Awesome. Now tell me you know Chris Rea. I have no idea who that is. Driving Home for Christmas. Oh, I know that. Oh, yeah, I know that. Trying to find, <laughs> I knew he was in, well, I'm trying to get to your generation now. You know Scarlett, the girl of Scarlett, he does all the, did all the social media stuff. She's a TV presenter now. Jo- the jo- Geordie girl, um, she was in Geordie Shore. No, she wasn't Geordie Shore. We do, I don't know why I asked this question. We don't okay. know anybody. Yeah, right. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> One of the questions we often ask. Nick Hure, Countdown. I knew again, I've heard again, of Countdown. I've heard of Countdown. It's my favourite programme. Mm-hmm. It's a good programme. I love it. Yeah. I used to watch it with my granny. Mm-hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Carol Vorderman. Time to go. Was that the, the yes, last yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, I love her yeah. books. Amazing. She's Amazing. Uh, she loves, her books? She writes books and it's about the origin of words. Ooh. Very good. That is interesting. Mm-hmm. Is Countdown still going? Yeah, mm-hmm. it was the very first mm-hmm. programme ever on Channel 4. The first one? The very first one. At four thirty on on a Monday, the wow. very first day Channel Four started, and it's still on the go. Incredible! And um, I I sometimes watch it and repeat. <laughs> I love it's it. broke, I love don't it. fix it. Absolutely, I like words. Uh, if you could take anyone from Northern Ireland, dead or alive, out for a Morelli's breakfast, who would you take, and why? Hmm, alive or dead? Yep. Probably George Best. Awesome. Um, just because he was just the best. Same Still the best, in my opinion. But <sighs> Can I take Elvis? You can, yeah. Okay. You can. He'd, he'd have everything to eat. Yeah. <laughs> had to be from Northern Ireland. Oh, from Northern Ireland? Oh, I thought you said Jelvis. Do you know who Jelvis is? No. Oh, I'll send you a video after this. Oh, crap. <laughs> 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 I'm a bit curious about the video. Oh, from Northern Ireland. Oh, my, oh dear. Um, no, you've got me. I'd have to have to think about that. Fine. Um, May Blood, maybe. I know she's now dead, but very interesting. Oh, I love May Blood. Yeah, mm-hmm. character. She's great. Yeah. We had May on the show. Did you? Yeah. So that's uh, one of my favourite things about doing this is it's a little tiny, tiny snapshot of, of a moment in history, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I just love when, when May passed away there fairly recently. Loads of people pouring out messages just like look we listened to this we hadn't heard this before and it's lovely yeah. that you can kind of allow a story to keep going yeah. in some small way she had a story she had a great half. story great yeah. book as well have to read it. i think it's called uh watch my lips i'm speaking something like that mm-hmm. and it's all about her life and everything she was involved in so yeah you enjoy that you like to read don't you i do yeah it's great i see you uh you're talking about social media strategy early for morelli's I just think you should do uh, a, a live podcast with some of your patrons because you'd be good at it. We moments of sitting at the table asking them about their life. You'd be good at that. Not for you. Yeah. Wouldn't be a lot of work Suggest done. Suggest that. Even less work done. You're like, Damien, I'm just driving business. That's what it is. Well, you know, it's, that's the thing too about, about Morelli's. Our unique selling point is that our name's above the door and we're there. Mm. And quite often my son Nino's there and sometimes Sienna, she's just in full time work of late, but she would be there as well. So there's maybe one, two, three, four, four Morellis just working away in the mm. shop. Sure. And you don't get that anymore. Yeah. yeah. I remember actually a guy coming into the shop and he was, <laughs> I served him at the counter and uh, he was a big birdie guy and he said, uh, do you want to see my Morelli's tattoo? <laughs> I went, oh, I'd love that. Recently. Quite recently. And uh, 
So he pulled up his arm and he has a North Coast arm. Wow. So it has Barry's and then it has big Morelli's right in the middle of it all. Unbelievable. And it has the, you know, the white rocks and all this sort of stuff. And all the 99. Was, yeah, and the big 99, right, right the way down his whole arm. Incredible. Wow. And uh, he said to me, are there any Morelli's around? And I started <laughs> laughing because you were there. Uh, Francesca happened to be there. Nina was working and my father was sitting up on the top. And I said, there's one to five of us here at the minute now. And he was really, he was all pleased about that. You know? so, uh, yeah. So, and, and then funny, somebody else met him on the beach and he showed, he was showing them, I think the Barry's one. They said, oh, is it Morelli's as well? So, so he's a dedicated uh, fan, which is great. That's class. Yeah. I was going to ask you about your little tattoo poking out on your wrist. Yeah, I, I, that's well, a bit of a midlife crisis, I guess, but, um, that's the club that I was involved in with the with the the, the martial arts thing. So and that's a black belt. So I got that after I got my my black belt. It's not just, just for holding your trousers up. Then. It's not just for holding my trousers <laughs> up. And it was just done around the corner, just off Botanic. It's a client of Francesca's, actually. I can't remember Silver, the name of the maybe? studio. Um, can't remember. He was a lovely guy, anyway. So yeah. I got that done in there. That's awesome. No, Terry Bradley's just started his own tattoo. Yeah, yeah, so I believe. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's been under pressure to do that for a long time. So we would know Terry quite well. So. That's good for him. Hope it goes well for him. Yeah, he's a nice yeah. artist. He is. I should actually chat to him. He's on the list. Mm. Not all. I mean, family businesses don't always go on forever. Do you think it will make it to a fifth? Is there any interest among the the Wayans? Interest? I doubt it. Sure. Um, Francesca would have been the likeliest candidate, um, but she has kind of other things. To be doing at the moment, if that's the right way to put it. Um, my argument to Francesca would be that she said, you know, I, I could run that, but I don't want to do it the same way that you do it. And I'd say, well, Francesca, you know, the, the world is littered with businesses like ours that don't survive because the owners aren't there. And her answer was, well, Richard Branson doesn't fly his own planes. <laughs> good answer. Which is a good answer. Yeah. And you can't really, you can't really argue. It was typical of Francesca. You can't really argue with it. Yeah. So I said, look, it's something to think about. Obviously, we don't want to work forever either. But um, my other daughter, Sienna, um, I just don't think it's for her. She's a, um, she's IT. That's what she works in. She's uh, living and working in Belfast now. Uh, and Nino really doesn't have the temperament for it. Nino's too laid back. He's too <laughs> easy going, which is I envy him that trait of his personality. You know, you, you could, couldn't ruffle our Nino and he's, he's a musician. So he's, he's, he's a guitarist now. He's got an a upcoming interview now in, in Leeds for the con Conservatoire nice. of Music up there. So hopefully if he passes that, he'll be off to do a degree there for a year. He's already done uh, a couple of years in, in, um, in the North Coast Regional College there. So so yeah, it's not going to be for him either. So I don't really know to answer your question. Yeah. It's, it's, it's up on the air. And obviously will it, there will come a point where we'll have to say, right, well, you know, where do we go from here? What yep. are we put a manager in it or whatever but mm -hmm. I mean I would like to think it will continue on in some shape or form absolutely mm. well guys we've got one more question do you have anything else I'm good All right this is the final question we hit it with everybody oh god it's not that bad <laughs> you'll be alright you've done very well so far Alan I think you can do it uh, if you could go back in time you can ask answer it separately to an 18 year old version of yourself and you had 90 seconds of an 18-year-old Damien or an 18-year-old Ellen's time, what sort of things would you say to them? Run. <laughs> <laughs> Save yourself. I don't think there's a lot I would change about myself uh, on a personal level. Ellen probably disagree with that. I mean, I, I, know, I know I can be, you know, I have my moments. 
But professionally, I think to um, take advice, mm. which is something I didn't do um, for s- several reasons, and sometimes to uh, appreciate what you have and maximise what you have without looking elsewhere because we've done several different ventures which maybe haven't worked out so well, uh, not not always in catering. Um, so sometimes to get one thing that's going really well and stick to it is not a bad way to be. Mm. Uh, I know it depends on your ambitions. I remember thinking when I was that age, oh, I'm going to retire, I'm 50 and I'm going to be a gazillionaire and all the rest of it, and it just doesn't work out that way. So I would tell myself to manage my expectations a bit better and to listen to advice. It's great. Mm-hmm. You want to add anything to your run or are you going to... I can't really add again. You've really caught me on the hop. Um, I agree with what you said. I think it's very insightful. Um, um, Let me throw you this. This will either help or hurt, right? Uh, marriage advice for a young couple starting off. <laughs> also run. <laughs> See you yeah. above. Also, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think we've managed to do the working together thing okay. Um, well, more than okay, obviously. Um, and we're both on the same page that way, and our um, difficulties are the same. Um, and uh, I think it's good yeah. if you can share friends. If you have similar friends, that makes a big difference because you can means you can socialise together and mm. you know in a group like that I think that's important we've always done that but we've always done our own thing as well well done we've taken our own holidays apart from each other and I sure. think you've got to give each other a bit of space I guess would be would be my take on it but yeah having having mutual friends is a, is a, is a really good good thing um, the working together thing you know sometimes I think when people work in separate jobs you know, if Ellen comes in at night and she was, she'd been gone back to nursing, for example, and come in, she'd had a horrible day, and I'd had a horrible day at work. I don't really want to hear about her day. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if we work together, she she knows why I've had a horrible day. If, yeah. if that's because we we both can, you know, we both you're facing the same problems. So when you work together, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and the, this place is big enough that we're not actually working, you know, <laughs> on top of each on top other. Top of each other. Um, and then for several years, whenever the kids were smaller, Ellen spent her summers in Italy as well, which we were very keen to do because we want them to understand their heritage and mm. learn a bit of the language and spend time with their grandfather and all of the above. So Ellen would have, you know, it's not going to happen this year, by the way. No, <laughs> no, no, no the but, other um, thing is we both give each other free freedom. And I think that's a personality thing. It's not necessarily the way we have made ourselves be. It's just the way we are, and I. It's not to be uh, needy, and I would mm. never say to Damien, "Well, no, you're not. You're not doing that." And mm. do you, I want you to be do that, and don't you do that? And he would never say that to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're thirty four years. Not. Thirty four years. Well, <laughs> yeah. So we both give each other uh, space to do our own thing, and um, yeah, it would have to be something pretty serious if I would say, "No, that's ridiculous. Don't do that." Mm. Yeah. You know, I let him. You know, he's growing up. And you can't tell another adult what to do. There you go. What a place to end. Damien, Alan, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Okay, thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Look, thank you so much once again for checking out this episode. Big thanks to NI Connections once again for making it possible. And like I said at the top of the show, if you would like to sign up for their free email newsletter at niconnections.com, 
I highly recommend doing that. Their website is a great place. If you're thinking about moving to Northern Ireland, whether it's for the first time or you're moving back home after being away for a few years, on the website is where you can also find up to, I'm going to say it's like 30 plus episodes we've done over the last three to four years of really, really interesting people from Northern Ireland who are doing really interesting things around the world. NI Connections exists to make those connections uh, all around the world for people like you. And so if you're in business or you're just interested, I was going to use the word nosy, but I'll say interested in seeing what people from this part of the world have gone on to do, I highly recommend going over to their website, niconnections.com. And thank you so, so much for being here. Big thanks to the, the Morellis once again. And a big thanks to producer Mark for making this episode so fun and looks so great with all the cameras. Cheers. Have a great time. If it's your first time listening, bestofbelfast.org is our website. You can check out over 300 interviews. Man, that is crazy to say. 300 interviews with interesting people from Northern Ireland uh, who are just making this place a better place. So yeah, have a great rest of your day. And thanks so much once again for watching or listening. Cheers.